you have your Bibles um, with you this morning, I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 4. The title of today's talk is Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? And so I want to set up the scene for just a moment. King David is about to be put in charge. In chapter five, he kind of takes over everything. So the moment is coming where, where David is going to be crowned king of Israel. And there was another king before David. His name was Saul. Saul was the, the first king of Israel. And Saul had a son named Jonathan. And Saul was actually trying to kill David for a lot of his life. Some of us know that story. And Jonathan and David actually end up becoming best of friends. But one day, King Saul and his son Jonathan, they're both killed in battle. Now, David was the one that God picked to be the next king, but not everybody knows that yet. And here in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, um, we're going to take a sneak peek at a story that I think you'll be able to find yourself in, as I found myself in. And I, and I think we can definitely find our world in. Um, and we can all move forward to be who God is calling us to be. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, would, you, would you please just, however you want to, we're going to honor God's word as, as, as we uh, begin this morning. So just take a posture and honor God's word as we read this uh, beginning scripture together this morning. This is um, 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. Remember, Saul and Jonathan had died in battle. So he re they received that news. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and he became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for our story, which is really just part of your story. And God, we thank you Lord, that in the midst of brokenness, Lord, in the midst of, of, of our shortcomings, Lord, when we fall, when we become crippled, when we become lame, Lord, there's a story of redemption. And God, so we step into that this morning. We say we love you more than anything else. God, give us ears to hear your words this morning. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, thank you. So, Mephibosheth, that name is a mouthful. I had to practice that a lot this week. But, it, but his name and this story is a very, very important one. Uh, again, Saul and Jonathan are in battle. They die in battle. And this nurse who is taking care of the grandson of the king, the one who's in line for the throne, she finds out that they're dead. And she knows that someone's going to come and try to kill Mephibosheth, this young boy. He's only five years old at the time. But someone's going to try to take his life because he's in line for the throne. So she picks him up. And in haste, it says, begins to run as fast as she can to bring him to safety. Now, I don't know what she trips over. I don't know if she stumbled on something. We don't know. But what I do know is something tragic in that moment happens, something that changes a little boy's life forever. She trips and she falls. And when she drops him, he becomes disabled. It says lame, not in just one foot, but in both feet, crippled in both feet. And wherever something like this happens, we know there's always a reason behind that story. There's always a story behind somebody's situation. It's, it's not that everybody's just evil and mean. You know, why'd they end up in that situation? And we, we've, we, we've been around people, and maybe we've been that person that have written somebody's story before we even know them. 
You know, there's always a story behind the situation, whether it's a situation in our marriage or a situation in a, in a broken friendship or even how some of us interact with people. It's not like we just stumble into that. There's a reason that we end up where we are. There, there may be a reason your friend has for not trusting men. You know, it's not because she hates them just because they're men. Uh, maybe it's, you know, because she was abused by every single man in her life. And that's, that's part of her story. Maybe the coworker whose debt never seems to stop, they may seem to be really hyper and overbearing and they just seem to be too into the job. That's your perspective. And they just, it seems like they're really, really aggressive with the bottom line and they look like a workaholic and it looks as if they don't care about their family but maybe it's not that they don't care about their family. Maybe they were raised in a home where they didn't have a roof over their head and they weren't sure where the next meal was going to come from. And so their bent is they don't want their kids to ever or their family to ever experience that pain. And so they lean in hard. And the only way they know how to get out of that cycle is to work harder than everybody else is working. There's always a story behind the story, right? Maybe some of the people that you and I see on the news maybe even this week, you know, maybe some people that we look at and go, oh man, look at them. Look at them in that gang. Oh, they just must love being a criminal, right? Uh, maybe their family dropped them. Maybe that was part of the story. Maybe the, maybe the gang was the only family that would accept them and bring them in. And they don't love crime, but they love family. Maybe the reason your friend or my friend or that coworker of yours just keeps on drinking or doing drugs is not because they're inherently evil or they just don't like people or they can't stand you. Maybe they're trying to numb some pain on the inside of them from a decision years ago that they've been trying to erase from their memory, but they can't erase. And every time they close their eyes to go to sleep at night, that same situation just keeps on running through their brain. So the only way they know to get a good night's sleep is to do another line or drink another bottle. I'm not trying to excuse people's behavior at all. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that there's a story. And I'm, and I'm just saying this morning, can we please stop thinking that we know someone from the first minute that we meet them? Maybe we would meet a young man like Mephibosheth and in the first five minutes we might come up with some idea of how he ended up where he ended up. You, you, you would not know that someone who actually cared for him, someone that was trying to help him, pick him up and try to bring him to safety, accidentally fell. And in, in one moment that young boy's life changed forever. A five-year-old a five-year-old that's skipping around and doing all the things that five-year-olds do. In our family, we've got an almost five-year-old and his energy it just lasts forever and ever. So you've got this kid who's running and jumping and playing and in one moment, Mephibosheth goes from playing to paraplegic. You know, like I knew, it just takes one moment of your life to be turned upside down. It takes one moment, it takes one phone call it takes one DM. It's, it's the parents watching as their child's playing basketball. He goes up to tip that ball in and his legs come out from underneath him and he lands head first on the floor and he's laying there still and not moving. The agony that goes through your heart in that moment, it just takes one moment. It just takes one ball going the wrong direction. It takes one text one direct message, one doctor's visit, one email that you see on your husband's computer. One friend of yours that talks about you behind your back or doesn't stand up for you the way that you'd like and your name is on their lips and they're not saying good things about you, they're actually tearing you down. Or lastly, 
<laughs> one world pandemic to bring chaos, right? It just takes one encounter to take your world and turn it upside down where you think you're going one direction and now you're going a totally different trajectory. It just takes one moment. But the, here's the th- great thing about God. The great thing about God, and I, I love this this morning, the great thing about our king is that he's also able to take one moment and turn it around for his glory. He's about to take one moment of grace and one slice of mercy. And, and, and once you and I have tasted of that, you and I go from lost to found. You and I go from blind to seeing, right? You and I go from dead to alive. You don't just go from bad to good. You, you come alive in Jesus. It just takes one moment, and today might be your one moment to taste of the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the love and the truth. Today might be your one moment. That God in heaven does not have his arms crossed. We, sometimes, some of us, we have that picture. God in heaven does not have his arm crossed looking at you with a scowl. As a matter of fact, his arms are wide open and the cross has already proved it. And today can be your one moment where you say, Jesus, you can have it all. I, I, I don't want to be lost anymore. I, I, I don't want to be dead in my trespasses and my sins. I just want to come alive in you. So today can be your one moment. It just takes one. You don't have to know how to pray. You don't have to have it all together. You, you don't even have to know where Samuel is in the Bible. All you have got to know is that Jesus was born, he was died, and he rose again. And this glorious Savior of ours is coming again in a cloud of glory. And I'm telling you, this one is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and he is for you. Amen. Can I get a witness this morning? And so, so keep going with me. Let's skip past. We're going to go past chapter five and skip past chapter six. There's some great stuff in there. Chapter six, David dances before the Lord with all of his might. And yeah, there's some uh, beautiful things that happened there. Chapter seven, you should all read at some point because God extends so much kindness and grace towards David. I mean, David doesn't even know what to do with it. He's overwhelmed. He's like, God, I can't even believe that you're thinking about me. And he responds to God's goodness with worship and with praise and with prayer and with generosity. So chapter eight, we see victory after victory after victory. But we're going to sit and we're going to hang out for the rest of our time this morning. We're going to park the car in chapter nine, beginning in verse one. So once you're there, this is what it says. It says, David said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Again, you remember Saul and Jonathan, the beginning of the story, the king and his son, they died in battle. Is there anybody left, the king says, that I can show kindness to in Jonathan's name? as was his best friend. So now there, there was a servant of the house, verse two. There was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. Isn't that a great name? I mean, how could nobody names their, their baby, baby Ziba? That's like a Bible name. You can, you can do that. <laughs> Zion, okay. Um, but but they, they summoned Ziba to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? <laughs> Did your mother name you that, Ziba? <laughs> are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. So this guy, Ziba, he's, he's obviously, he's in the know. He's, he's someone that used to work for Saul. And again, Saul's passed away. He's gone and Ziba's been around long enough to know some things about Saul's household and Jonathan and the family. So look with me now, verse three, it says, the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Remember in chapter seven, God's been really, really good to David. 
And, and matter of fact, God's been good to David really his whole life, even to this day now where David is king. So David has experienced this kindness and he wants to share this kindness because that's what happens when God gets a hold of your heart, that you just don't want to keep it to yourself. You want to share it with some other people, right? And so now David is king. He's in charge. He's, he's the one that's running things. And he's, he's asking the question, is there anybody else, anybody at this household who I can show kindness in the name of Jonathan? Here, here's where you and I get a little bit of a wink that this is not just a picture of David and Mephibosheth and Ziba. Now, this is a picture that's going to be pointing us to something that's going to be happening years down the line because years later, Jesus is going to show up and there's going to be some kindness that God is going to extend. As a matter of fact, we sang about this this morning. The Bible tells us, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the kindness of God. It's his kindness that's intended to lead us to repentance. It's his kindness that turns us, that God's kindness and his goodness and his mercy is intended to lead us to turn our hearts to him, that that its kindness is is not just there to just kind of cover up sin and say, you know, there's no, no such thing as sin. As a matter of fact, it's kindness that says, hey, I exposed the sin, but I love you despite it. I expose it, but I, but come on in. I love you and I'm here with you. And I want you to be here with me. And and we taste that kindness and it draws us in to say, I want to turn from my own way and I want to go your way. So now there's something bigger that's going on here that's, it's not just about 2 Samuel 9. This is ultimately a story about God and his fame and his renown. The rest of verse three, if we continue reading, it says, Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. So we're talking about Mephibosheth all of a sudden. He's on the scene once again. The last time we heard about him was in chapter four. This is the first time he pops back up again. Now here in chapter nine, the king says to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Those two two words there, Lo and Debar, that they mean something. It's, It's when you're single, and you haven't got a date for a while, you load a bar. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> sorry, you can scratch that. That's the first time I've ever asked Derek. You can scratch that from the radio program. <laughs> um, those two words, load a bar, it's kind of unique. Together, what they mean is no thing. They mean, load a bar means no thing. Another way of putting it is that Mephibosheth was in the middle of nowhere. He was in the middle of no thing. And I don't know about you, but throughout all of this pandemic stuff and all the other things going in our world, everything from racism to sexism to human trafficking to to the politics, it seems like things have been a little bit topsy-turvy, right? And it seems like we're trying to find our course through this chaos. And at times, I know that there's some people in our family that feel like we're in the middle of nowhere. We feel like we're a little bit um, in the mess, in the, in the mess, in the chaos. And it's like, where do I even fit in all of this? For some people, maybe, 
For some of our single people, maybe you're feeling like that in your relationships. You're like, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Maybe you're in a marriage and you feel like I'm in the middle of nowhere. When, when are the kids gonna go back to school full time, right? We're asking that question. What's gonna happen with my job this year? Or, or what's, gonna, what's going on with my finances? Do I, do, I, do I have something planned for next year if this kind of year kind of goes in the tank? I can't even plan for next year. What's gonna happen next year? I'm in the middle of nowhere. I feel stuck. I want to move forward, but I don't know if I can. I want to take a step this way, but I can't. I feel like I'm stuck. Uh, I, you know, I can't say this. I can't say that. I, I can't go here. I can't go there. I feel stuck. So this is Mephibosheth, five years old, and he's playing. Someone accidentally hurts him. He's taken to a place to hide out, the place of, the place of no thing. And now he's in, there in the middle of nowhere. Now, if you're feeling this, I just want you to know that the king is calling for you. If you're feeling this at all, if you've had this thought running through your mind, if you've put yourself to bed at night and you've cried some tears, if you've wondered about the future, if you've even questioned about the the goodness and the grace of God in light of the circumstances that you find yourself in, I want you to know that your name is actually on the king's lips. I want you to know you might feel like you're in the middle of nowhere and forgotten, but the king of heaven is like, nah, I knew exactly where you were the whole time. I knew exactly where you were. And this is, this is what the king says in verse five. He says, I need you to go and get him and go and get him right now. Don't wait, go right now. And this reminds me, I think the Bible is giving us another peek. We see this story in another part in scripture, letting us know about something that's gonna happen in the future. So if we flip over to Luke chapter 14, verse 21, we're gonna jump in the middle of this parable where a master is trying to throw a big banquet. Chapter four, verse 21 of Luke. And he's, gonna, he's told his servant to go out and to bring everybody in. And the servant goes out to invite people and and people keep on giving excuse after excuse why they can't come. I can't come. I'm too busy. I'm single. I can't come. I'm married. I can't come. I'm about to have a kid. I can't come. I have kids. I can't come. I'm getting a business off the ground. I can't come. I'm about to retire. All of these excuses. There's all these reasons why they can't come to the table. And the master's like, what, are you serious? And so in verse 21, this is what it says. So the servant came back and reported these things, all these excuses to the master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, I need you to go out quickly. I need you to go out right now. Go out quickly to the streets. Go into the streets and I want you to go to the alleys of the town. I want you to bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And I want you to bring them all in And I want you to bring in the people that everybody likes to walk past and I want you to do it now. I want you to bring in the people that everybody else wants to cancel. I want you to bring in the people that everybody wants to look past and think that they're marginalized and think that they don't matter and I want you to bring in the PhDs and I want you to bring in the GEDs and I want you to bring in the able-bodied people and the people that are disabled and I want you to bring in the people that speak English and people that speak Lakota and people who speak Spanish and people who speak Arabic and I want you to bring in Everybody, bring them all, bring them all in. And the guy goes out and he brings everybody in that he can find. And then he says, sir, what you've commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master's like, oh, really? There's more room. Well, I knew there was more room because I've got a big house. (laughs) And so then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges. He's saying, go further. 
Go to the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. I want you to go out there and pull in everybody, church. So here is our mandate. Just like the king is telling Ziba to go get somebody in the middle of nowhere, so is our king calling us to go out and get people that are in the middle of nowhere, people that are in the middle of brokenness, people that are in the middle of depression, people that are in the middle of anxiety, people that are in the middle of loss, people that are in the middle of wondering if God is even for them. And he's saying, I need you, church, to wake up and I need you to know that I've called you to go the highways and the byways and the alleys and I want you to get them all and compel them to come in. And remember, it's the kindness of God that is intended to lead us to repentance. So let's go there. And let's go back to Samuel chapter nine and keep reading in our story. Samuel chapter nine, verse six. And it says, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, who's the son of Saul, came to David and he fell on his face and paid homage. He's been in the middle of nowhere feeling forgotten. And now he's in front of the king. Oh, you know, my goodness. He says, I'm your servant at your service, right? That's his response. And David replies and he says, do not fear. Maybe underline those words. Do not be afraid. Do not fear for I will show you, and here's our word again, kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will, here's another great word, restore to you all the land of Saul and your father and you shall eat at my table always. God's promise to us is that he will restore what the enemy has taken. Mephibosheth bowed down and he said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? He's looking at this. He's looking at the table. And his response It's like, are you serious? Are you inviting me to your table? You're telling me not to be afraid. You're telling me that you're for me and you're telling me that you're on my side and you're telling me that you love me and wait a minute, you know my name? I've been in the middle of nowhere and now I'm in front of the king. Have you ever tagged somebody well-known or, or famous on, on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and have them write you back? Uh, somebody that you never thought would ever comment on your post. One time, I, it, was, it was over a decade ago, I, I, I tagged Chris Tomlin in a Facebook post and he commented on it. And I've got that in my social media archive somewhere. I'm not going to delete that one, right? And, and just last week, I, was, I actually responded to a tweet by a guy by the name of Tone, who, who wrote the song that we sang last weekend, God Has Not Forgot. And uh, Tone retweeted my at reply, and then some of his followers um, retweeted that. So I told Pastor Derek, I said, well, now I've truly lived. Tone has just retweeted me. Right there, it, it, it feels like something. And, and that's like our story right here. Mephibosheth is like, you know me? 
And not only does the king say, I, I know you, but the king says, I'm giving you a seat at my table. I'm not just gonna leave you in the middle of nowhere and not only do I know your name, as a matter of fact, I'm gonna give you a spot right here at my table. You can come and sit down right here like you are one of my sons. You've got an invitation from the king. Here's a beautiful picture. David here is representing God the Father. And you and I are Mephibosheth and we come lame, not in just one foot, <laughs> but in both of our feet because, but because of our relationship with the Son. Jesus Christ, you and I have access to a new way of living where we get to have a relationship with the God of heaven and where our sins are forgiven and we've been washed clean and we've been made new and our eyes have been opened and we get a seat at the table. Some, some questions for us to consider this morning as we wrap this up and as we look at this story and we say, okay, well, what do I do with this this morning? What is, what, what's all this about? Let's ask the question this morning, and I want us to think about this. I'm, I'm, I'm not asking these questions just for myself. I'm asking them for all of us. I'm, I'm talking to you right now. Who's welcome at this table? Who's welcome? In the past, here, listen, listen. The church has been notorious for keeping people away from the table. The, the church has been notorious for policing the table. Years ago, there was something called a hagioscope. The hagioscope is another term for the leper's window. And it's where churches made these little squints, these little eyepieces, little cutouts in the side of the church building on an external wall so lepers and other non-desirables could look in and watch church but not pollute everybody else who was inside of the building. And somebody thought that was a great idea. Somebody who's sitting around like, hey, let's figure out a way to represent the God of heaven and his mercy and his grace and his truth and his love. I know what we'll do. We'll tell the people that you can't come in <laughs> and we'll give them a little crack in the wall that so they can really feel like they're loved. And for whatever reason, the church has been thinking this foolish way for far too long and we've gone back and forth thinking, you know, wait, I, I, I'm gonna tell people who can come and who can't come and I'm gonna tell them who's welcome and who's not welcome. And we've done this to people of all colors, black people, white people, we've done it to Native American people, we've done it to people who have been divorced, we've done it to people, you know, who are rich, we've done it to the poor, we've done it to people who have a bunch of degrees, we've, we've done it to people who don't have enough degrees, it just depends who's at the table, Right? because they get to determine who comes to the table. And the question I have for all of us is, whose table is it? Is it ours or is it the king's? You and I are only at the table because of the grace and the goodness of God because of the old rugged cross that we sing about and a savior that was willing to stretch out his arms for us. And now he says, whosoever will, 
whatever brokenness, whatever shortcomings, whatever issues you have in life, my doors are wide open and this table is available for you. If you have felt like you've been pushed aside, like you've been stepped over, I'm telling you that the God of heaven has given you a spot at the table. So, if it's his table, and there's already people sitting at the table, and we're, we're sitting at the table, I've got to ask the question this morning, are you willing to move over from your position at the table? Now, we've, we've got our place. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the church people now for just a second. For, for me, I, I gave my heart to Jesus you know, when I was, I was a kid, probably seven years old, now I'm 43, but it was probably back when I was around seven years old when I gave my heart to Jesus and I got my spot at the table. I'm sitting at the table, so, you know, I'm good. I got my spot. I'm eating of the goodness of God, uh, the grace of God. I'm enjoying the presence of God and I'm sitting at his table and I've got my spot at the table. And now the king is inviting somebody else to the table. And so that means that we're going to have to, you know, maybe make some room. Let's, let's get another chair in here somewhere. How are, we, how are we going to fit everybody in? And we know the picture. God's house is a big house and there's room for everybody, but we've got to make room. And so I've got my spot and we could be so, we could be so protective of our spot at the table. We can, we can be so protected that we're going we're gonna to have to make some room for somebody else to have a seat. And we're going to make from, some room for somebody else to sit at the table. You and I have, have to be willing to make some room and, and maybe some adjustments. Maybe move out of our comfort a little bit and be willing to say, I love you just as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up to have a seat at this table. You don't have to dress like I'm dressing to sit at, sit at this table. You don't, you, you, don't, you don't have to have all of your theology right to sit at this table. But the king has invited you to this table. So I'm going to scoot over and I'm going to make sure that you have a place at this table. <laughs> Somebody, it, 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 it's happened Sunday mornings here before somebody's upset that I'm reading out of a certain translation of the Bible. And you know, some, some of the people at the table are like, well, I don't even know, you know, what NIV and ESV or TPP or TMNT, I don't know what any of it means. And listen, we've got the whole gamut at Destiny. You know, we've, we've got people from every angle that are coming together as one, right? That's what we've been talking about, coming together as one. And with that being the case, are we gonna tell people who can and can't sit here. We're gonna ask people to clean themselves up first and then come. It's at the table. <laughs> Has this been your experience? It's at the table that you learn your manners, right? It's at the table that when you get to the table, you found out, oh, this is what following Jesus means. This is what grace and mercy is. This is what it means to walk humbly. This is, what it, this is how you turn in your Bible to the book of Samuel. I, I didn't know. Oh, I, th- this is what it means for Holy Spirit to fashion and inform us. And I find that out when I've got my seat at the table. But before you get to the table, let's not be surprised that there are going to be those of us who are walking to the table lame. We see it in scripture, God's calling to the table those who are lame and broken. 
Because honestly, that's all any of us were ever before him. Then, then you get here, you get here to this spot at the table and you're maybe, maybe you're eating with your hands and somebody, you know, is like, well, hey, you don't have to eat with your hands anymore. There's grace and there's mercy. You know, there's, there's forks here that you can use when you're at the table. So let, let me, let me show you about grace and mercy, right? You don't have to do it this way. We, we give, we've got to give grace to people that don't know the lingo, that don't know, you know, the language, and so, you know, when, when, we, when we say, you know, let's give God some praise, maybe somebody at the table is going, uh, I don't know if I've got any praise on me. I, I don't see anything, you know. <laughs> they don't even, what does that mean? We know what that means, but we've got to show some people, give some people some time to grow and some time to work things out because that's what God did for us. When we're all at the table, this is what happens you get an opportunity to ask the question, what's your story? How did you end up at the table? Oh man, I mean, my, my name is Mephibosheth and you know, I, I, I'm, I was five, I was actually in line for the throne. My nurse, she dropped me and I've, I've been stuck in the middle of nowhere. Then this guy, you know, he, his name was Ziba. Yeah, Ziba. He came in and he invited me and then the king gave me a spot at his table. And I, honestly, I'm still kind of uncomfortable. I've never been at a table like this. I've, I've never sat at a seat with so much before me. I, 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 I don't even know what to do with this. You know, you know what we can do? Church, I'm talking to us still. You know how we can respond? <laughs> it's okay. I remember feeling that way when I first got to the table. I remember, you know, getting to the place and and you just got to keep on walking. You just got to keep on uh, surrendering to Jesus and keep on staying in your Bible. Let me show you how to get into that. It's because it's it's food that'll last. You don't have to understand it all yet, but just keep on walking. Just keep on following Jesus and you just watch how God is going to change and transform you from the inside out. That happens at the table, and that's, that's what we do when we're sitting at the table. Here's another question that I want us to ask this morning. How do we get to the table? Like Mephibosheth, who's lame in both feet. How did he get to the table? You know, maybe he's bowing down to the king and he says he feels, he says of himself, he says, I'm a lame dog. I'm like a dead dog is the words he uses there. Did you forget what it feels like to be a dead dog? Somehow we forget how our sin and our shortcomings make us feel so incredibly dirty and nasty. But then God just keeps on saying, I love you despite your sin and I'm gonna change and transform you, but you need to run to my arms first. And so maybe, maybe some of us come crippled and we're lame in both feet. <laughs> we, 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 we come and we can barely walk and we feel broken. And it feels like, you know, the, the weight of everything is kind of hanging on our shoulders. And we can, we can barely walk across the room, let alone travel from the place in the middle of nowhere, Lodabar, 
to get to the king's table. So how am I supposed to do that if I'm lame in both feet? You're a place of struggling. And every step, it requires everything that you got. You know, we could think of these crutches as a picture of mercy and grace, and there's plenty of pictures of mercy and grace in the scripture. We could go there. We could look at that, but that's not how the story goes. I love the pictures of mercy and grace, but that's not how the story goes. what, What happens in the story? In the scripture, we read that he bows down, he prostrates himself. He's kneeling there, he's sitting there. Somebody sees him, he, he's bound before the king. And, and you know, somebody who's, who's probably already at the table, somebody who's tasted of the goodness of God, somebody who's tasted of the grace of God, somebody who's tasted of the transforming God of power, somebody who's tasted of God's ability to take them from loss to power, maybe they find somebody who understands the glory and the goodness and the mercy of God, somebody that's not hung up on anybody else's weaknesses, but understands instead they're, they're hung up on the power and the renown of the cross and who Jesus is, somebody who's not hung up on sin, but somebody who's dependent upon the Savior. So they're sitting here at the table. Somebody is sitting here. And they're like, oh my goodness, the king. The king is, is, is giving somebody else a spot at the table. I remember when, when I didn't have a spot at the table. I remember when I was lost and I remember when somebody got up and made room for me at the table and I remember when I was lame in both feet and somebody got up from the table and they actually, they came over to me. I felt like a dead dog. I was in the middle of nowhere and you know what they did? They picked me up and they carried me to the table. They carried me. They took my broken body, my lame in both feet body, and they carried me. Some of you know our friend Joyce Hartman. Her earthly body passed away last Sunday evening and we hosted a celebration of life service here yesterday. Joyce was 88 years old. And I think more than anything this week as I've been hearing stories and reading all the comments and the memories shared about her life, the most striking thing I've heard over and over and over again is how she would carry people the ones that society had left and forgotten about, she would pick them up in her car, she would let them into her house, she would give them food, sometimes to her own detriment. I mean, she would bring people over here to the church office and I would be scared. (laughs) I would be fearing for not only her safety, but for mine. It was just this summer. If you haven't heard this story, you need to hear this story. It was just this summer this July, that Joyce had picked up a young lady who had told her that she needed some help at a truck stop. 
and the, and the lady was asking Joyce to drive her around to all sorts of places, and she was doing it. She was taking her out to all these random places, and then she tried to get Joyce out of the car because she was saying, there's something, I lost my phone in the back seat. Can, can, you, can you get out of the car and, and help me look for you know, my phone under the seats, which was all aroused to try to get Joyce out of the car to steal it from her. So when Joyce refused, she kind of knew something was up. She refused to do what the lady was asking. This person got into the driver's seat and sat on top of Joyce and drove off in the car with her in it. <laughs> Long story short, they had to stop because they, they, went, they went onto the reservation and they had a, they had a, they had a COVID checkpoint on the reservation. On the first one, there was just one officer on the, the driver's side and, and Joyce didn't feel like uh, she could you know, do anything at that point, but then they got to the state line. Joyce had by that time um, been asked to move over to the passenger seat and she was sitting there. They got to the state line and there's another checkpoint there was a police officer on her side of the vehicle in that situation, and she managed to get out of the car. She, she pulled herself out of the vehicle to, and, and was telling the police quickly what happened, but it wasn't before they had already raised the gate, and that girl who want, you know, was in the driver's seat drove off in Joyce's car. They found the car, still in good working condition, about a, a week later, and... When asked by the detective if Joyce had feared for her life, she said that she had just kind of come to a peace, a place of peace with God and that she was not afraid to die. When they later had the kidnapper in custody and Joyce had to go in to verify her identity, you know what Joyce did? Joyce promptly, very publicly, forgave her, forgave her kidnapper, and told her that God had a purpose and a future for her that was better than she could ever imagine. And all of that because of an attempt to show someone the kindness and the goodness of God and give them a seat at the table. That's, some, of you, some of you attended, you were here the weekend, um, she did the second, second greatest commandment teaching, which was something that Joyce was determined to do before she passed away. And I started hearing about her plans earlier this year, and, and we had originally planned for her to share at, at one of the Soul Tribe Day retreats way back in March. Um, you can imagine why that didn't happen. That was in the middle of everything shutting down and the whole pandemic scare that was kind of blowing up at the time. So we had postponed that event until just a few weeks ago. And on Saturday, September 26th, Joyce, right here in this room, shared what amounted to her life story. And she wrapped it all up in a message of how important it is for us to love one another. That was her message. Her husband, Mike, told me that she had been preparing for over a year and that she had barely slept the week leading up to the event. She had been going over her notes again and again, fixing and correcting and adding and making it just how she wanted. And she had told me on more than one occasion that she felt that it would be her swan song. And none of us were prepared for that actuality. But you know what? Her life story was this. Her life story was inviting people to this table. Joyce had tasted of the goodness of God and she wanted everyone that she came across to have a taste of it too. I mean, it, even if it cost her. 
She heard that her sins can be forgiven and she heard that she can get newness of life and she experienced that she could come in, enter into the goodness of the glory of God. And when she heard the good news of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, she decided to follow him with her life. And I'm so glad that she did because it wasn't only her that came to this table, but it was all the other people that she invited to this table as well. So many others. Maybe it was one of you that would not be watching the day if Joyce did not find her way to the table and then carry you. I was talking last night with one of Mana's friends who wouldn't be a part of the community here at Destiny if it wasn't for her plugging into the Love Inc. laundry ministry, the linen ministry brought some blankets as in partnership with Destiny, delivered some blankets to her house, and then invited her to the table right here at Destiny. And now, church, we get the opportunity to carry a lost and a broken and a dying world that is in the midst of chaos and mess. And we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to carry someone to this table not for our glory, but for his. I want to close our time together this morning with a song. God, we thank you for the invitation this morning, not only for us, but for the call on your church, on your sons and daughters. be selfless God we've tasted of your goodness we've tasted of your kindness we've had a seat at your table we know of the goodness of who you are God we've walked it we've lived in it we've breathed it So there's just a compelling, an urgency that we see that the master sending out the message to the streets and the alleys and the bushes, fill my house. My house is a big house. There's lots of room at the table. I don't want to see any empty seats. Bring in the lame and the crippled and the broken. Lame in both feet. They can't even walk themselves. Carry them. 
bring them into my house.
First for us, church. Seems the, the call over and over again, uh, maybe even the, the theme of this year, the Lord keeps on bringing us back to shining bright, being a light in a dark place. That's what he started off with. That's speaking to us this year. Teaching us again how to love one another. this is you this morning, you're sitting at the table, you've said yes to an invitation from the king. You've come into his house and you've said yes already to follow in his footsteps, to have a seat. I just wanna remind us today and bring us back to the place where our eyes, our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears are open and ready to make room at this table. And to not only make room, but to be the one that is carrying those that are lame and broken and hurting. They may not look like us, they might not even think like us, not even feel safe but the king is calling them and he's asking us to be his hands and feet and carry maybe you this morning you feel like you're at the place of brokenness and you feel like yeah I'm the one that's lame in both feet I'm broken I am a dead dog I'm on the ground I'm in the middle of nowhere feel forgotten, I feel alone. And I just want you to hear the Savior is calling your name and inviting you to the place at his table this morning. It's a place of grace. It's a place of mercy. It's a place where you don't have to clean up before you come to the table. <laughs> You've already got an invitation.
and there's no pressure to perform. He just wants to be with you. He wants you to commune and he wants you to eat of his riches, taste of his goodness and dwell together in his house. So Father God, we come before you this morning and as your church, as your sons and daughters, Lord, we lay our lives down to your purposes and your plans and your calling and your invitation for us to partner with you. What a high privilege it is to partner with you, Lord, to see others come and sit at your table. So Lord, help us to not be afraid. Help us to go out into the alleys and beyond the alleys, into the byways, to the dirt roads, to the shanty towns, to the villages. Now let us start here. Let us open up our lives to our neighbors, to those that feel broken, and let us be the ones to show them love. And for those of you that are feeling broken, maybe it's a coming back to the table this morning. It's a place of coming back into the communion with the Holy, Holy Father. Or maybe it's coming to the table for the first time. The invitation is open to you. And so I'm going to pray a prayer. And it's nothing, absolutely nothing special or magical or mystical about this prayer but it's just words that we can use and you can follow along with kind of as a template this morning to say yes I, I want to follow you with my life Jesus and I, I want to sit at your table so if you if that's you this morning would you pray these words after me say father God I give you my life Thank you for the invitation that's in front of me this morning. Your goodness, it overwhelms me. And I might feel like I'm apart and broken. I might feel like a dead dog this morning. But I know that you come as my rescue. And you come this morning take your hand and I want to take you up on that offer. I want to follow you with my life. Not even for my benefit, Lord. But for your fame and for your glory and for your renown, it's because I love you. And so I lay my life down this morning and I say it's yours. I give my life to you. Thank you for your body broken for me cross. Thank you for coming to my rescue. I'm yours in your mighty name.